0: hard to believe that it's already the fourth Sunday of Advent, isn't it? And Christmas is almost upon us. And I trust that uh, these Sunday mornings that we've been sharing together, looking at how each of the angels came and delivered a message as part of the larger Christmas story, has been helpful in you not just kind of doing the holidays, but engaging more deeply in it, as you've realized that, unlike maybe sometimes sentimentally, we think of the angels coming, and it bringing great comfort and joy when actually their message to each time with their audience, it was chaos. The message was so disruptive that it was not only puzzling, but sometimes extremely difficult to hear and to respond to. And that's often in the ways of God. Um, Sometimes what he has to communicate uh, just is totally upsetting in our lives, but at the same time also incredibly transforming. And so this morning we are going to continue and come to the fourth time an angel comes um, and speaks and delivers uh, a message that we celebrate because of its chaotic nature. If you have your Bibles, please open them if you would to Luke chapter 2. As we begin I want to ask the question what has the greatest influence over the choices that you make in life you see every day in hundreds of ways every single one of us in this room and even those of you who are online we are the target of something called marketing now marketing is the persuasive effort to convince people that they need certain goods or certain services. It's everything from the underarm deodorant you buy to the potential food that you buy to the car that they try to convince you you need to purchase. So companies around the world will spend enormous amounts of money on marketing in order To launch a new product or a new service they want you to know the good news of what now you can go and spend your money on and typically in marketing the first thing that that happens is something called a promotional event and that promotional event is designed to gather a crowd get media attention and also create excitement and enthusiasm But unfortunately, sometimes, those events don't go as planned. For example, a couple of years ago, the cell phone manufacturer, LG, introduced one of their new phones, and so they put together a promotional event that involved hundreds of helium balloons, some of which had vouchers inside for a free cell phone. So the idea at these events, that literally what happened one after another all the way across the world on a given day, was to release these helium balloons, and therefore people would chase them down and create this marketing excitement. Well, some gadget fans, inflamed by techno-lust, showed up at the very first promotional event with BB guns so that when the balloons were released, they started shooting. Well, what happened is that the crowd was sprayed then with these BBs being wildly uh, shot. 20 people were injured, had to be taken to the hospital. It was a total fiasco. LG had to cancel the rest of the worldwide events that were going to happen that day, uh, picked up the tab, apologized, and had to care for everybody who was hurt. Obviously, the company did not get the results they wanted from that marketing campaign. The night Jesus was born, you could say that a divine promotional event was staged. An angel with a couple of his vocally trained buddies came to make sure the good news got out. And these were his exact words. If you have Luke 2 open, verse 10, he said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, we often forget that the word news, as we often use it, is literally just that. It's information that is new to us. Something we've not known before, now we know because it's news. And it's also defined news as being good In other words, it's positive. It's wonderful information that's designed to bring a smile to your face. And not only that, you're also supposed to have an emotional response. Great joy. So how did this divine promotional event go over? Was it a marketing success? Did it gather a crowd? Did it create excitement and enthusiasm? Was there a groundswell of interest that swept the nation? The day later, was there a front page article about it in the Jerusalem Times? How did it go? Well, let's examine the story here in Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8 and going down to about verse 15. Now, the scene is incredibly familiar to most all of us. It's night, and there's a group of shepherds sitting around a campfire and probably knocking down a few wineskins together. And whenever men gather, whenever men gather around a campfire, it's predictable what's going to happen. So in the early evening, there's the good-natured joking and teasing that happens among men who regularly work with one another. Typically, men, well, they will be engaging in scratching various body parts and see who can spit the furthest. Then comes the swapping of lies. Trying to outdo each other in the telling of possible stories of wild animals that they have fought, or of brutal weather that they've endured, or rugged miles that they've traveled with the sheep in search of good pasture. Yeah, in the early evening, that's pretty typical. But then as the evening develops and deepens, the conversation begins to go to silence as everyone's content just to stare at the flames and the glowing embers of the fire. Someone might make a sarcastic political joke about Herod's incompetence as king. But each one is wrapped in a blanket, but they're very alert. Their ears are tuned to the sounds of the night. See, these are guys who are going to lose sleep because they do not want to lose any sheep. Everything is in place. That's the setting when God pulls the marketing trigger. Now the problem we have is that we know the story too well and the familiarity of it keeps us at times from being fascinated by it because the details of this event should literally shock us. We should shake our heads in total amazement. I mean, Luke has written it in a way where he intends for us to be shocked at how this story now unfolds. You see, from a human perspective, from our perspective, this is not the way good news is supposed to get out. In fact, it's all wrong. This actually, from a human perspective, looks like a botched marketing plan whose promotional event went horribly sideways on everybody. Because there's no denying that something wonderful has just occurred. But who picked the audience? Were you thinking shepherds? I mean, get serious. They're uneducated, minimum wage, good old boys. Are they really the key demographic here? And then what about the rural setting? Whose idea was that? I mean, this should have been staged up in the Capitol so that the shakers and movers and opinion makers could all be made aware of what's happening. And then the timing. Oh, the timing is all messed up. Did anybody think to check what time zone Bethlehem was in before we went operational? I mean, the middle of the night stuff does not give maximum exposure. Yeah, from a human perspective, this is all wrong. But in God's eyes, ooh, the setting is perfect. See, even though it's initially puzzling to us why God chose the specific who, where, and what, it's, it's put together in a way we would never have orchestrated it. Yet there's good reasons why the shepherds were the first ones to welcome the Christ child into their world. Because God cares about accessibility and connectivity. Think about those two words for a moment. He doesn't want our attitude towards Jesus to be like our attitude towards a celebrity. Oh yeah, we know who they are because we've seen their picture on the magazine as we go through the checkout line, or we've seen them on TV at an awards show, but we also realize we're never going to have the opportunity to meet them we're never going to be introduced we're never going to be friends with them but god wants our relationship with his son jesus to be as warm and natural as if we were walking in the front door of our best friend and in addition the setting the setting reveals that god does not want his son jesus to be like an object in a museum, an object that is famous, an object that is well-known, but it's accessible only on certain days and between certain hours. In other words, you can't get close because you have to stand behind the ropes, and for heaven's sake, don't touch, and no flash photography, please. When Jesus arrived on that first Christmas, the setting was perfect. For God wanted His Son to be welcomed into our world in a personal, accessible, and connecting way. Not somebody else's world, as we're going to see in just a minute, but our world. And the details surrounding His birth here in Luke chapter 2 all point to how He came to be welcomed into the mess, the chaos, and the confusion of right where every single one of us live, right In fact, we're going to take a few minutes and notice that there are seven important details given to us to point out how we are to personally engage with what Luke writes here. And each one of them is going to help us welcome Jesus into our world. So let's look at each important detail, which at first glance might be very puzzling to us. Yet what looks so wrong was actually done with a divine purpose for our sakes. So first, have you ever asked yourself, why were the shepherds involved? Because Jesus wants to be welcomed into the world of the average working guy. He wants to connect with those who are just trying to be faithful one day, At a time they're not looking at their job as as leverage for advancing in some kind of career see Jesus wants to come into the world of those who may realize they've got a dead-end job but at least they've got a job even if it's working for somebody else even if it's having to manage the resources for somebody else the coming of Jesus is intended to be wonderful news For those whose life is just dominated by the repetition of the routine. Those who don't find going to work each morning this thrilling satisfaction who realize it's just a job. (laughs) Shepherds are the first to hear the good news because for all generations, all generations since then, Jesus wants to be welcomed by those who live in that kind of world. Paul picks up on this. Hold your finger here in Luke 2, we'll come back. Turn west in your New Testament to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 about the heart of our God. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's who we are. And that's who Jesus wants to have us invite into our worlds. But let's look at the second puzzling detail. Not just why we're shepherds involved, but second, why was the message given in nearby fields and at night? Keep those two in mind here. Because Christ came to those who feel like, first of all, the tone of their life is dark. He comes to those who find that it's, it's very difficult for them to see clearly what's going on around them. He comes to those whose dark days involve the painful ache of loneliness. And the darkness and the remoteness of their lives breeds an insecurity as they realize it's coming with various hazards and and various threats. So they often end up in with sleepless nights, believing that they've got to protect what is theirs. And oh, the darkness of the of those fields where they're living. That stands in contrast to the city over there that they can see. It's just it, I'm here, but. But the lights are on over there. Um, Over there they see lights. Over there is where everybody else is living. And this dark light contrast convinces them, I'm an outsider. I'll look on, but I'll never enjoy what others get to enjoy. See, that's why the good news of great joy came to those in nearby fields at night. Jesus wants to be welcomed into the world of those who are living in a remote sense of darkness. The New Testament picks up on this. First Peter, chapter two and verse nine. "You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, you God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. And Jesus Himself later on, as He was an adult, said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Or in John 12, He said, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in Me should stay in darkness. That's why that great news of great joy came to those living in nearby fields at night. Third detail. Why was the message, notice again verse 10, good news of great joy? Because Jesus wants to be welcomed into the world of those who are exhausted because life is hard. It comes to those who are sad because the news that they're hearing pretty much all the time is news of hunger and abuse and anger and disaster. And they themselves are tired of living hungry, angry, abused, and broken. Jesus comes to people who wonder where their life is going. But they also wonder, is there a God? And if there is a God, does He even really care about my life? And Jesus comes to those who've got deep secrets, secrets that they would really rather not face because they create memories inside of us that bring with it a deep sense of shame and, and, a, and a real deep sense of guilt. Because those memories leave us embarrassed and we don't know what to do about it. And the good news. Of great joy from heaven comes to people who would really love to have some authentic good news but they're also cynical of hype jesus wants to be welcomed by those who live in that kind of world huh. that's why i think it's so wonderful that our lord at the very early part of his ministry told people one day in Nazareth that what the Isaiah what that who Isaiah the prophet in verse 60 or chapter 61 said was true of him when the prophet wrote and said the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You with me so far on this? Do you see why the shepherds were involved? Do you see why the message came to those living in nearby fields but at night? And why the message was good news of, of great joy? See, all this was perfect, the perfect setting that God created. But there's a few more details. Number four. Why was this news for all the people? Emphasis on all. Because Jesus wants to be welcomed into the world of those who feel marginalized and left out. He comes to those who struggle with the way that the world seems to divide everybody into the haves and the the have-nots. He comes to those who are utterly convinced that the good stuff, is for the scholars, for the religious, for the well-off, for the wealthy, for the powerful, for the privileged, but not for them. Jesus wants to be welcomed by those who admit that the world that they're in, they've got a deep longing, a deep yearning to belong, a, a strong yearning to be accepted, a deep yearning to just to be included. That's why I love Seeing the heart of our Savior, for example, in Matthew chapter 9, it says Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion for them because they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Or in one of his prayers, he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. That's why it's news for all the people. Number five, consider the amazing that amazing night. Why did it involve a baby being born? Well, newborn, vulnerable, helpless, completely dependent. And how many times do we as adults run into some situations where suddenly we feel like a child? Something has occurred, and we realize how vulnerable we are, how helpless we are, how uh, desperately dependent we really are, and it's almost unnerving. Because we realize in the world that we live in, we have no prominence. We have no position. We have no status. We're not networked like other people are. No one cares if we post anything online. We're convinced that we really do not have a voice. Jesus wants to be welcomed into those whose that's their world. Luke chapter 18, Jesus says, I tell you, I truly tell you, Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Or how about Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be And then what about the sixth detail? Why did the baby begin its life in a manger? Because who here this morning isn't living a manger-like existence? Right now, each day is a walk through the manure for you with its smells and its flies. You realize that your life is no showcase. You're not living in a glow. In fact, you would probably say this morning, your life just stinks. And we believe that what we do each day is really behind the scenes. It's out of the way. We're not in the mainstream. We're not in the spotlight. And honestly, our life feels like it's being held together by bailing wire. It's a makeshift affair with no real sense of permanence. It's very manger-like. And Jesus, He wants to be welcomed by those who live in that kind of world. Remember the observation made of Him in Luke chapter 15? Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them." Aren't we glad he does? Or how about Matthew eleven twenty eight? 28? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then probably the most important detail of all, number seven. Why is it important that this baby be the Savior? Well, as we noticed last week, when we examined the dream that Joseph had, to talk about a savior assumes then that someone needs to be saved. They are desperate, and only someone else can come and affect in their life a rescue. Is that your world? world where maybe this morning you're recognizing that there's something deep inside of you that is out of control, and you're feeling powerless against it? That something in your heart you recognize this morning is broken and you yearn, but you can't fix it? Is your world somewhere where your spirit you recognize has been wounded and so you, you desperately want some healing? And you look around and you realize that in this world there are hospitals for those who are physically hurting, that there are mental health counselors for those who are having a difficult time thinking straight, that there are financial advisors that can help us worth our debt. But where do we go when the issue is my heart? Jesus wants to be welcomed into the world of those who outwardly look good but on the inside, something has or is dying. He's a Savior. He's come to rescue those with broken, and wounded hearts. Turn, if you would, to the very last of the four Gospels, the Gospel of John, and turn, if you would, to chapter 1, starting at verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you see in the shepherd's story how much your heavenly father has done in the coming of the Christ child to reach out to you? So maybe the key question for each of us this morning is have you received? Have you invited and welcomed Jesus into your world?